Hey, for those of you that I have yet to meet, my name is Prentice. I get the privilege to be the lead pastor here at Bethany in West Seattle. Uh, And I just want to welcome everybody here this morning in person. Uh, For many people that are watching online, uh, and uh, I do understand that this is uh, spring break uh, for the Seattle School District, so uh, for those of you traveling, and I know that we'll be tuning in uh, sometime this week, hey, welcome uh, to our service to Palm Sunday, the day that Jesus entered into Jerusalem knowing that he will die, and we also know the Easter story that he will be raised from death and into new life, and therefore we have a reason to celebrate. Uh, And so today's a special day. We uh, have someone being baptized, which as a pastor, for me, that is the greatest honor uh, because it is a moment that a person, whether they've been uh, in their faith for a long time or brand new to faith, that it's a moment that they decide to make a declaration, a public declaration of what they believe. It's an internal happening, being, uh, being expressed uh, on the outside. And so I'm so thankful for that opportunity as well. And so uh, this morning, I feel really hot this morning, this, this morning, but all right, this morning we're going into Mark chapter 11, verse 1 through 11. And as noted, it's uh, the moment that Jesus enters into Jerusalem. And so the word of the Lord says this, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at the doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered, As Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches then cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Let's pray. God, thank you that we get to hear from you this morning. That we get to hear the story of your triumphal entry to declare that you are king. Not only king then, but your king now, and king you will forever will be. And so, God, may we rest assured in that. May we find peace, and may we find comfort, and may we find hope in that good news. So this morning, as we celebrate your entry, and as we know the coming death on Friday, and as we acknowledge your resurrection and celebrate it on Sunday, may we be thankful. May we lean into that with our whole lives. In your name we pray, amen and amen. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, when it comes to things that we hope for, if I ask you you to name something you are hoping or, or something that you had hoped for, I would imagine that you would be able to name something. 
Maybe it's hopefulness in an event, in a relationship, in a, in a new home, in a new car, in, in something. I, I would imagine if I asked you, hey, what do you hope in? What have you hoped for? You would be able to name something. And, and I remember when I was playing Little League Baseball, uh, there was something that I had hoped for uh, for a really long time. And it was every little kid, you know, playing baseball, their dream. And lo and behold, it was this opportunity for this dream to come true that I found myself in. I was playing in the outfield, uh, and we were up, our team was up by one run, and there was a person on second, and there was a batter up. And my hope, to, and this was the last inning, and I think about this quite frequently, actually, and, and I don't know what it is, but my, my, my hope was this, that someone would hit it into the outfield, and I would make this dramatic catch, and the game would be over, and we would win, and I would be the team hero. And now, again, there was a, there was a day where that dream was actually coming into fruition. I was playing in the outfield. Again, a guy in second base, a batter, he hits it. And I remember just running to the ball thinking, okay, this is my opportunity. The opportunity that I had hoped for for a really long time. And so I remember running, making an extra dramatic, diving for the ball. And I looked at the ball as I reached out and I saw the ball go right under the glove right past me. And the very thing that I had hoped for was no longer going to be true. The guy on second base and the batter actually scored and we lost. And it was like I had one job. My one job as an outfielder was to catch the ball. And I remember not only did I want to catch the ball, but I hoped for that dramatic ending where I was the one to save the day. And yet my hopes were crushed. And 20-some years later, 30 years later, here I am still talking about it and still thinking about it. So you know how it affected me. Again, we've all hoped for something, whether it's a new job, a, a potential relationship, a new home, a child, something in your finances to improve, upward mobility, status, maybe it was an illness to get better, maybe there was a death of a loved one that, that where, where our hopes were just crushed. If I asked you, have you ever hoped for something, I would imagine all of you could say yes. Then the follow-up question is this, if you've ever had your hopes crushed, and again, I would imagine 100% of you would be able to say, yes, I've had hopes, I've had hopes crushed in my life. The American Psychological Association defines hope as this, the expectation that one will have positive experiences or that a potentially threatening or negative situation will not materialize or will ultimately result in a favorable state of affairs. The, the thing that sticks out to me in this definition of hope by the, the American Psychological Association is this idea of expectation. That expectation of something good will happen that there will be some kind of fulfillment, that there will be some kind of joy. And, and even when negative things happen, that there is this hope that the negative thing will actually turn into something that is positive or favorable. But again, we still wrestle with the fact that we have had hope, we have lost hope. 
And, and the next question as this domino goes is, where do you go when your hope is lost? When the expectation of a positive experience actually doesn't come into fruition, you miss the ball or something in your, uh, the, in your form or in your list of things that you want to come happen, it doesn't happen. So then where do you go? Where, does you, where do you go when your hope is lost? Because you see, hope is a, it's a strange thing because everybody has hopes. And, and hope is a good thing. But again, hope is a strange thing because oftentimes hope only lasts as long as the very thing that you put hope in lasts. So oftentimes when we put hope in something, it, it ha- whether you know it or not, it has a bit of an expiration date. And the expiration date is determined by the expiration date of whatever it is or whoever it is that you put your hope in. And we've all experienced this kind of disappointment. Where the very thing that we have hope in becomes something that is lost or, or it disappears or it doesn't come into fruition or something happens, and there we go. We have to start all over in our disappointment, finding hope, and yet again, something else, only for this cycle to repeat over and over and over again. And it's almost like last few months, or maybe a few months ago, I got, uh, no, actually it was a year and a half ago or so, I got this new phone. And maybe you all know or have heard of the iPhone. And I remember when I first got my iPhone, it was perfect. It was everything that I needed. It was, okay, you know, if I want to text, if I want to go on the web, if I want to search for something, if I want to go on email, it's all there. It's fast. It's beautiful. It's perfect. And then a few months ago, the new iPhone comes out. And then all of a sudden, the very phone that I thought was so incredible and so amazing was no longer. And all of a sudden, I needed the new one. And so here we are. I got the new one. I would imagine come, you know, next fall when, when Apple releases the new phone, I would imagine myself saying, okay, well, this phone is that. Now I need another one. Now I need that new one because this one no longer serves its purpose. It actually does. It probably does a fantastic job, but yet we always want the next and we want the new. In similar ways, the things that we find hope in, maybe not as, as trivial as a phone, but oftentimes the very things that we find hope in ends up disappointing us. Again, if you've ever been disappointed in a broken relationship or maybe a loss of a job or maybe loss in your finances or, or pain through sickness or health or whatever it is, when you experience brokenness in the very things that you found hope for, then what do you do next? We find hope in something else. And again, this cycle of just going to the next, to the next, can be exhausting. And it's so exhausting that oftentimes some people will move on and and find ways to escape this unending cycle of hopelessness. Escapism, addiction, isolation, going into toxic relationships, workaholism, you name it, whatever it is, a cover-up, this exhaustion of our hopelessness because everything that we seem to find hope in, even in good things, tend to ultimately disappoint us. So then what do we do? And the sad reality is this. It seems like even our faith in Christianity is becoming less and less of an option, seemingly. 
You see, according to the latest Barna Institute, which is a well-known survey company around faith and religion, uh, they did a, a survey, and they said, in 2000, the year 2000, 45% of Americans identified as being practicing Christians. In 2019, almost 20 years later, uh, the number went down to 25%, so almost half. And I would imagine the next survey uh, that they will do that covers the year 2020 to even today, 21, 22, I would imagine we may see numbers drop off even more. Again, Christians and those who do not identify as Christians alike have been turned off by the way that the church has been behaving the enmeshment with politics, the hypocrisy in church leaders, the silence in the face of injustice, the corruption of power. I mean, you name it. I mean, we've heard it. But the beautiful part of Jesus' triumphal entry is a reminder and an invitation that we can have a different kind of hope. Different kind of hope than the hope that the world offers a different kind of hope than the hope that the false hijacked Christianity offers. Jesus offers a genuine and authentic hope in him. You see, in, in Mark chapter 11, and we see this in, in different uh, gospels as well, Jesus is entering into Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, from Bethany, coming down a huge hill, and he knows exactly what's about to happen to him. Jesus is going down to give his own life on the behalf of the world. And before he does that, Jesus instructs, we won't reread everything we, uh, I just read a few minutes ago, but Jesus instructs a couple of his disciples to grab a colt, or, or some translations, a donkey, for him to ride on as he enters into Jerusalem. Now, the, now there's specific instructions around this colt or this donkey is that it, it was an unridden colt. It's never been ridden before. Ultimately, unblemished colt that is tied up. And so Jesus says, grab it, tell them it's okay, that the Lord wants it, bring it back. And that is the colt that Jesus rides into Jerusalem with. And then in the next verses, it says this, when they brought the colt to, G to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. So imagine that these disciples brought the, the, the donkey or the colt to, to Jesus and takes off their jackets or their cloaks, puts it over, and then Jesus hops on and rides into town. It says many people, so not only the disciples, but many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches that they had cut in the fields. Uh, and again, the other gospels will say palm branches. That's where we get Palm Sunday from. And so again, Jesus riding in on this donkey and people, massive amount of people around, they're using their, their cloaks or, or palm branches, laying it out before him as he rides in. Now, I want to set up the scene a little bit more for you. This was during a time of a huge festival, traditionally uh, known as the Passover. And it was a huge festival where Drew, Jews from all over uh, the known world would come in to Jerusalem to celebrate. It was almost like a pilgrimage. And a Jewish historian that lived during the time of Jesus named Josephus, uh, he noted that Jerusalem typically had a population of about 60,000 people. But during Passover, there would be up to 2 million people. 
Now, most likely it's an exaggeration, but the point is clear that there was a lot of people from all over the world that would come into Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And the reality is this, that most people uh, who welcomed Jesus probably didn't know exactly what was happening. They probably didn't know exactly who Jesus was, but they came and went along with the crowd. So you can imagine Jesus' triumphal entry. It was like a parade, a huge parade. Some people were going along with the crowd. Some people in the crowd knew exactly who Jesus was. Those were the people that ushered in Jesus with throwing cloaks and palm branches uh, on the ground. And palm branches and throwing cloaks, it was significant because this was what was done for kings after coming back from a victorious war. The king would be riding in to town just like this parade that Jesus rode into, except for this king who just won a massive war would come in on a horse, not a donkey, but a horse. And this king, this warrior king who just defeated the enemies would come in and people would celebrate this king and to honor this king again by throwing cloaks and palm branches for the person who just fought and won this battle on the behalf of their people. And so typically a king would ride in, not only ride in with a huge stallion, a horse, but with the enemies, the defeated enemies in chains behind him as trophies. And it would be like, again, a parade, people hooting and hollering in victory. And so this was the thoughts that the people had that Jesus would be. Of course, I'm sure there was a bit of confusion as to why this Messiah, this Savior, would come in on a donkey. But, but hey, that was beside the point. The point was this. The people that were there believed that Jesus was their rescuer. They didn't exactly know that Jesus was God in human form, but they believed that Jesus was their savior, their literal savior under their oppression of Roman Empire. We talk about the lot that the Jews were oppressed by the Roman Empire taxed uh, unfairly, persecuted, killed, uh, even you know, pushed out of their own land, even experienced tons of violence. And, and throughout the entire Old Testament and in the New Testament, they were waiting for a savior, most likely a, a, a warrior or a king or a military might to come in and, and to overthrow the Roman Empire. And finally, when Jesus comes in in the triumphal entry on a on a donkey, not a horse, but nevertheless, coming into town, the people believed, okay, Jesus is our guy. Jesus is our king. Now, you'd have to understand that they didn't really have the right picture of who Jesus was. Jesus was not that kind of king. Jesus was a different kind of king that people were expecting. He came in on a donkey. A donkey was about humility. It was the lowliest of animals. It was all about humility. It wasn't about might. It wasn't about force. It was actually the very opposite from what a typical king would have done as they rode in victorious. Donkey was all about 
particularly this particular donkey, was about it being unblemished. There's a reason why in the beginning of this passage uh, that Jesus says, go get that donkey over there. The unblemished one, the one that nobody has ever ridden. Because you have to understand that when they did temple sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins, uh, whatever they had to sacrifice, a sheep or lamb or whatever it was, it had to be pure. It had to be unblemished. And and so when Jesus walks in uh, or, or rides in on a donkey, he was making a huge statement that his disciples and people that knew who he was would understand. Number one, this is a sign of humility. This is a sign that says, you know what? This is a different kind of king. This is a different kind of hope that you're expecting. I'm coming in on a donkey. Not only is it just a donkey, but it's one that is unblemished, one that has never been ridden before, one that is pure, one that is fit for a sacrifice. And what we would later find out is that the sacrifice wasn't the donkey. The sacrifice was... Jesus, the truest, the perfect, the purest sacrifice of them all. The one in the final, and the one that said, it is finished. That was Jesus. So it was about humility. It was about an unblemished donkey that, that represented sacrifice. And, and number three, and lastly, and most importantly, this was a fulfillment of a prophecy that was happening in Zechariah. Zechariah 9, uh, verse 9 says this, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, on a fowl of a donkey. And so in Zechariah, the prophet already talked about that this Messiah, the Savior of Jerusalem, will be coming in, and not only will just be coming in, will be coming in on a donkey, and here Jesus is doing exactly that. Jesus was a different kind of hope. Jesus was a different kind of king. One that people didn't quite understand or recognize until a little bit later. You can even hear it in their remarks uh, further along. It says, those who went ahead, those who followed, shouted, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Now, Hosanna means literally save us. Save us now. So you can imagine that the ancient Jews, as they were under this oppression under Roman Empire, they were literally saying, save us. Messiah, Jesus, save us. It wasn't this over-spiritual word, although it has that impact as well, but it was about the then and now. Right now, under this Roman occupation, Jesus, will you save us? Hosanna. Still, they didn't quite understand the idea of what Jesus was trying to do, what Jesus was trying to say. But little did they know that Jesus, again, was a different kind of king, and he brought a different kind of hope. This is the kind of hope that we need, that we need to recognize, unlike many of the Jews that were there, we need to recognize in our own lives. You see, Jesus rides in in this triumphal entry to enter into the last days of his life. We call that Passion Week or Holy Week. Jesus goes on the cross on our behalf so that we can have new life here on earth and after death. And on the cross, right before his death, Jesus says, it is finished. No longer do we need to look for other forms of hope. 
No longer do we need another kind of king. No longer in the first century do they need a warrior to come and rescue them. No longer do we need to fall under the different influences and the different uh, temptations and different lies to follow as far as what will bring us hope, everlasting hope. We fall for these tricks, whether it's on social media, whether it's in the media, whether it's in our grocery store lines or, or headlines that we read. There's oftentimes voices in our heads, in our eyes that says, okay, your king, your loyalty, what will bring you joy and hope or an X, Y, Z, more money, more relationship, bigger house, uh, more finances, upward mobility, status, fame, whatever it is. And Jesus is finally saying, no, 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 it is finished. Your hope, your final hope is here in my work on the cross. 20th century missionary John Bro- Brozier says this, The hope that God has provided for you is not merely a wish. Neither is it dependent on other people, possessions, or circumstances for for its validity. Instead, biblical hope is an application of your faith that supplies a confident expectation in God's fulfillment of his promises. Coupled with faith and love, hope is part of the abiding characteristics in a believer's life. I love that. Again, we return to this element of expectation. Expectation. He says that a godly or a biblical form of hope is this expectation that God will fulfill God's promises in our lives. Again, we can try and find hope in everything under the sun, but it's the one who created the sun that gives us the ultimate hope. The Easter story, the resurrection is all about that hope cannot be killed or destroyed. And this is what makes Jesus a different kind of hope. A hope that came in on a donkey, a hope that died on the cross, a hope that defeated death and resurrected so we could have everlasting life. It's a different hope that the ancient Jews expected. It's a different hope that we should invest our time, our priority, our lives, our souls in. Because God is with you. God is for you. Are you experiencing heartbreak? God will heal you. And in the Bible, there's different names for God. And the God who heals is Jehovah Rapha. If you're in need, God will provide. Jehovah Jireh. Are you feeling anxious, depressed? God will give you peace. Jehovah Shalom. Are you feeling anger or hatred inside? God can give you love and compassion. You see, Jesus enters into death so that we may have new life. And not just new life after death, though, yes, that is part of the Christian promise. But new and everlasting hope for today. I love this verse in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. It says this. We have this hope as an anchor for our souls. Oh, I love that. May we be anchored in our lives. 
with the hope of Jesus. Where we will be grounded. Where we will always have someone I hope to look to and go back to. It says, it says, we have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. I love that part, firm and secure. What, what kind of hope do we have in our lives? Where do we find hope in our lives that we can confidently say, yes, that is firm. Yes, that is secure. And I would imagine if we go back to my first question, have you ever had hope in something? Yes. Has it ever disappointed you? The answer is most likely yes. And so, I don't know about you, but oftentimes the very things and the people that we find hope in, I wouldn't necessarily define as firm or secure. Not necessarily in negative ways always. I know that there's people I can trust. I know that there's people that love me. I know that there's people that's for me and with me and I can, I can walk alongside you. I, I, I'm not discounting relationships or even things that give us some sense of happiness in our lives. But I'm talking about a hope that is firm and secure. That is not dependent on anything external. It's a kind of hope that even if things change in our lives, there's something in us because of the work of Jesus that we can stand firm and say, you know what? I am feeling content. I still have an expectation even in the darkest moments of my life, we've all experienced this. doesn't mean that we'll be happy and go lucky every second of our lives. There will be dark moments of pain and despair in our lives. I've experienced it. You've experienced it. But even in those experiences, we can say that we have a hope in the promise that Jesus has in, in all of scriptures that will come into fruition. And because of that, no matter what state that I'm in, I can find hope that is firm and secure. I love that verse. May we, as a people of God, find our hope in a different kind of king, in a different kind of hope. While our culture and our society <coughs> gives us recommendation on where to place our hope and our security and our joy, we know from firsthand experiences those end up being disappointing. And we end up in this cycle of disappointment, hope, disappointment, hope, disappointment, hope, disappointment. And may this Easter, may this Holy Week be a reminder that God inv invites us into this relationship through the person of Jesus to experience a hope that is everlasting, that a hope that is there, that is different, a hope that comes in on a donkey, not a horse, a hope that sacrifices for us, a hope that doesn't leave us nor forsake us, and that is through the person of Jesus. May we find that hope. And as we invite the, the worship team back up, we'll lead you in a time of reflection, thinking about Christ's hope in our own lives. We'll sing a song. We'll celebrate baptism. 
And, and, and I want to say this. This is what I always say about baptism is this. I don't know about you, but uh, I love going to sports games or theater or, or whatever it is, and we've all been there. And when someone scores a touchdown or a home run or a, you know, a good musical piece in a concert, what do people do in the crowd? They cheer, right? They, they cheer because there's something to celebrate. There is a victory. And so may we as a community, whether you're here in person or even watching online, may we reflect that same kind of joy and solidarity with our brothers and sisters who get baptized, who confess their faith in Christ. And so, again, may that be a reminder as as we do this baptism that we would celebrate. And as we celebrate, we'll usher in the children as well to sing and to witness the sacrament of baptism as well. Uh, So what will happen is the kids will come in with palm branches, they'll sing along, and after they sing, they'll go back to their families. Let's pray, and we'll continue as we end in our worship. God, thank you so much for who you are. We thank you that you are a new kind of hope, you're a new kind of king, and may we never forget that in a time where we live in a world where it tries to convince us otherwise. May we be reminded that you are a hope that is everlasting and everlasting. May we find confidence in that. And we thank you for your work, your life, death, and resurrection on the cross that says it is finished. In your name we pray, amen and amen. Let's continue in worship.